If we didn't have a little technical difficulty, I wouldn't know what to do. <laughs> Praise God. Thank you, Sam. All right. So let's review. Chapter 1. It's the apocalypse. It's the unveiling. God had meant for the book of Revelation to be understood. There's a blessing for the reader, the hearer, and the heater. John sees a vision of the glorified Christ. And then God, he gives him the outline in verse 19. The things that you've seen, that's the glorified Christ. The things that are, that's the church age, chapters 2 and 3. And then the things that will be hereafter. That's uh, everything from chapter 4 on. 4 through 19 is the tribulation period. 20 is the millennium. 21 and 22 is the new heaven and the new earth. Number 2, chapters 2 and 3 is the letters to seven churches. And as far as we're concerned, that's the most important because that's, that's immediately uh, applicable to you and me. Now here's the sobering thought. Five out of these seven churches had some problem. Doctrinal problem, moral problem, um, you know, some kind of issue. So I'm not a math major, but that's, uh, Lori did the numbers for me yesterday. Uh, 71.4%. Uh, chance that there's some issue going on in any given church. And so that should give us pause that we ought to be repentant and sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And also, you know, it shows that there's no perfect churches, right? We, we're, we're all fallen people. we got issues. There's a 100% chance we've got issues, right? <laughs> okay. That's what Lori said anyway. <clears throat> I think she was talking about me in particular. Revelation <laughs> chapter 4 begins with Meditata, after this. And uh, that begins the futuristic section of the book. John's called up to heaven. He says, come up, hit, uh, come up hither. He sees God's throne, and there's a, a rainbow around it. He sees 24 elders, four living creatures, and he, he praises the Father for his role in creation. Chapter 5, worthy is the Lamb. Uh, we see the seven-sealed uh, scroll book in the hand of the Father. And John cries because nobody's able to open the book. But glory to God, there's one who's worthy. And we've been singing about him this morning. And we're going to praise him throughout all eternity. He's worthy. All right. The Lion of the tribe of Judah. The 24 elders sing about their own redemption. Praise God. And uh, heaven rejoices in the glory of the cross. Forever and ever, we're going to sing about the cross and the blood. <laughs> so we just got a head start on it, didn't we, guys? Praise God. Praise God for the cross, for the blood, for his uh, redemption. Chapter 6. I told you these would go quick. Chapter 6. The scrolls are opened. The six seals. First seal is the white horse. That brings forth false peace. Second seal is the red horse. Peace is taken away, war. Third seal is the black horse. That's famine and hyperinflation. Fourth seal is the pale horse. That's pestilence. And a fourth of the world's population is destroyed. The fifth seal is the cry of the martyrs. How long, O oh Lord? How long? Sixth seal is cosmic disturbances. The question is then asked, who is able to stand? If you look at Matthew 24, you'll see the comparison with Revelation 6. And all of those things 
are the first half of the tribulation period. We call them the, the birth pangs or the beginning of sorrows, uh, if you will. Now keep in mind the structure of the book of Revelation. A lot of sevens, aren't there? You got seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowls. And when you get to the sixth, there's a pause or an interlude between the sixth and the seventh. So the seventh seal unleashes the seven trumpets, and the seventh trumpet unleashes the seven bowls. So here's the first interlude, chapter 7. John sees two things. He sees the, uh, the 12 tribes of Israel and 144,000 are sealed from them. And he sees a revival of epic proportions, a number which no man could number. And God promises this multitude that uh, they'll never hunger, thirst again, and he's going to wipe away all their tears. Praise God. Chapter 8, first four trumpets. The seventh seal is open, and there's silence in heaven for half an hour. The first trumpet, a third of the trees are burned up. The second trumpet, a third of the sea creatures. The third trumpet, a third of the fresh water supplies turned to poison, wormwood. The fourth trumpet, a third of the sun, moon, and the stars are darkened. And yet, the earth dwellers are warned that the worst is yet to come. There's three more trumpets. Three more woes. Chapter 9 is the fifth and sixth trumpet. Uh, the bottomless pit is opened and locusts come upon the earth. And these are demonic. People want to die, but they can't. They can't commit suicide. The king over these locusts is uh, a, dem a demon spirit. The sixth trumpet blows and four angels are unbound uh, in the Euphrates. Let's go to Revelation chapter 10 now. Revelation chapter 10. That was a quick review, wasn't it? Praise God. You say, I hope the rest of it goes as quickly. Revelation 10. And let's stand. Let's, let's get our blood circulating. I thought me and Preacher Arnold was going to have to take a victory lap on that last song. We could. If you'd have gone, I'd have gone with you. <laughs> well, let's get the blood circulating. If you, if you can stand, if you can't, that's okay too. Let's look at Revelation 10. He said, I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head. His face was like the sun, and his feet were like pillars of fire. He had a little book in his hand, and he had his right, his right foot on the sea, and his left foot on the land, and he cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. And when he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. Now when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Seal up the things that the seven thunders uttered and do not write them. The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things 
that are in it and the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he's about to sound, the mystery of God should be finished as he declared to his servants the prophets. Then the voice which I heard from heaven spake to me again and said, Go take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. So I went to the angel and said to him, Give me the little book. And he said to me, Take and eat. And it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be sweet as honey in your mouth. Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it. And, was, and it was sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And he said to me, You must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. This is the word of the Lord. I'm going to ask Preacher Larry if he'll pray for me this morning and pray for us to, to hear. Thank you. All right, Sam, my clicker died. So I'm going to have to put you to work. I'm sorry. So go to the next slide. The next one. All right, let's stop there. Now this is an interlude here between the sixth and the seventh trumpets. The seventh trumpet is going to release the seven bowl judgments. We are now at the midpoint of the tribulation period. Uh, we know this for several reasons, but, but here's a real, a real big clue to you. The next three chapters... You're going to see uh, 100, excuse me, 42 months, uh, 1,260 days, 1,260, a time, times, and half a time. You're going to see this repetition over and over. And that tells us we're at the midpoint um, of the tribulation period. And I've got a quote here uh, from Dr. Anthony Garland. The theme of the chapter appears to be the declaration of God's intention and right to take possession of the earth in preparation for the last trumpet. And I hope you noticed uh, the repetition of the words the sea and the earth. Did you notice that when we were reading that? No more delay. All right. Let's go to the next, uh, the next slide. Now, you may have noticed uh, in the description of the angel that there was a lot of similarities between the angel and, and Christ. You've got clouds. You've got a rainbow. Uh, sun, his face shining like uh, sun and, uh, and various other things. But I want to say to you that uh, similarity does not mean identical. Similarity does not mean identical. Um, Sharon and Lynn have got twin daughters. Are they identical? They're, not, they're similar, but they're not identical. Okay. So there's a lot of similarities between this angel and Christ, and a lot of the commentators say that, that this angel is Christ. But I'm here to tell you, even though I disagree with some heavy hitters, that this angel is not Christ. And I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to show you. You may have a study Bible that says it's Christ. And if you do, then that's okay. You probably can't get your money back on it now. But um, similar is not identical. Okay? Now let's talk about the symbols just quickly. What, is the, what does the rainbow remind us of? No, a God's covenant, right? His promise. 
And, and the mercy of God, right? That even though this horrible stuff's going on, God's still merciful. He's still uh, dealing with His people with mercy. Uh, his radiant face like the sun. His feet are like pillars of fire and there's a cloud. That reminds us of God d dwelling with the people, the Israelites. The cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night, doesn't it? And also of judgment. And then there's a little book that's open in his hand. And uh, what about the lion roars? What does that remind us of? Lion of the tribe of Judah, right? How many of you ever uh, held a flashlight for your dad while he worked on something? How did that work out for you? <laughs> uh, imagine, if you will, that you're, you're, you're holding a flashlight for your dad, and he's working on a car, okay? And he's got a screwdriver. Now, I call it a flathead. You might call it a slotted. How many of you call it a flathead? How many of you call it a slotted? Okay, we got a few oddballs in here, but most of us call it. Flathead, get with it, guys. So, if your dad uh, is, you're holding a flashlight for him, and he says, uh, son, this screwdriver is too small, get me another one, okay? And you say, okay, dad, and you go back, and you bring him a Phillips screwdriver. What's going to happen? Well, it depends on who your daddy is, right? <laughs> um, but when you say another, you mean an, he means another of the same kind, right? Might be bigger, but it's still a flathead. You don't want Phillips in. So this another here, angel, is another of the same kind. The Greek word is alos. If he intended different, it would be heteros. Now look in Revelation five. Look in Revelation 5, and you'll see another instance where there's another angel. Everybody's got such a good tan over here. <laughs> Jeff's got that Florida tan. It looks different than a South Carolina tan. <laughs> <laughs> You're sorry, rascal. I'm jealous. But that clear water. Okay. Um, Mark, would you read uh, Revelation 5, verse 2? And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? All right, would you also read Revelation 18, verse 21? And a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and cast it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence shall that great city Babylon be thrown down and shall be found no more at all. All right, thank you. So here we've got other mighty angels who clearly are not Christ. So there's no need to interpret this guy as being Christ. He's another of the same variety, another mighty angel. Also, this angel comes down from heaven. If you've got this being Christ, then you've got Jesus coming down to heaven before he comes. <laughs> and he comes in Revelation 19. Also, he swears by God. If he's God, he'd swear by himself, right? Hebrews 
Michael's name means who is like God. I'm not saying this is Michael, but I'm saying that Michael apparently has attributes that are divine, you know, that things that look like God. Even Lucifer, when he was created, he reflected the glory of God. All right. Though Christ is called the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, he's never called the angel in the New Testament. Not one time is he called an angel. Um, go with me to Daniel chapter 10. And I think this is the obvious parallel here, is in Daniel chapter 10. Daniel and Revelation are very close companions. That's why we did the book of Daniel before we did Revelation. You have to understand Daniel to understand Revelation. I believe. All right, Daniel chapter 10. And in Daniel 10, Daniel's going to see a vision of a, uh, a heavenly messenger. And he's going to look a whole lot like, he's going to have attributes that look a lot like Christ. But we're going to see that he's not Christ. And it's taken me forever to get to Daniel 10. I'm using a different Bible today. All right, Mark, would you read verses 1 through 7? Daniel 10, 1 through 7. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a thing was revealed unto Daniel, whose name was called Belshazzar. And the thing was true, but the time appointed was long. And he understood the thing and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant bread, neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth, neither did I anoint myself at all, till three whole weeks were fulfilled. And in the four and twentieth day of the first month, and as I was by the side of the great river, which is Hidekel, then I lifted up my eyes and I looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose loins were girded with fine gold of Euphaz. His body also was like the barrel, and of his face as the appearance of lightning, and his eyes as lamps of fire, and his arms and his feet like in color to polished brass, and the voice of his words like the voice of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men that were with me saw not the vision, but a great quaking fell upon them, so that they fled to hide themselves." Okay, so he sees this messenger. He looks a lot like Christ, doesn't he? He's got a bright linen garment. He's got gold. Um, his uh, body's like barrel. His face is like lightning. His eyes are like flames of fire. I mean, that sounds a lot like Jesus. But when you get, um, you get to verse 12, And uh, Mark, would you read verses 12 and 13? Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard, and I come for thy words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. So this demon was able to resist the angel. And if this were Christ, I don't think he'd be able to do that because Jesus is greater than the angels. Amen. Let's go to Daniel 12. And I think this is the obvious parallel here. 
Mark, would you read verses um, 1 through 9? 1 through 9, I'm sorry. And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a native even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, there stood other two, the one on this side of the bank on the river, and the other on that side of the bank of the river. And one said to the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, how long shall it be to the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and his left hand into heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever that it shall be for a time, times and in half. And when he shall have accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people, all these things shall be finished. And I heard, but I understand, understood not, then said, I, O oh my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, Go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. All right, thank you. Do you see the obvious parallel here? You see it? Now, here's the difference. There, there is some differences, and I'll explain to you why. Uh, in, in here, now we see that Michael stands up at what time? At the middle point of the tribulation period. How do we know that? Because he talks about a time, times, and half a time, right? So this is the same time frame um, as the other. Also, uh, notice in verse 4, he's told to seal up the book. Okay? Now, what do we know about the book of Revelation? It's not sealed, is it? It's open. Why was it sealed? Because it wasn't time. Because Christ hadn't come and he hadn't died yet. But he has now. And notice in verse 7, that in verse 7, he lifted up his right and his left hand and swore. But in our text today, he only lifted up his right hand. You remember that? The difference is, it wasn't time then, now it's time. You understand? Daniel's looking forward. John is announcing it's here. So let's go back to uh, Revelation now. Uh, John MacArthur, I put his picture up there on the PowerPoint. See how fancy I'm getting? Uh, he's really not all that good looking, but he's a smart guy. And, uh, and he made the point that whenever you see, whenever you see uh, uh, Christ in the New Testament, in the book of Revelation, he's always given a high and mighty title. King of kings, Lord of lords, and so forth. So to call him an angel would be uh, very, uh, in my mind, disrespectful to Christ. But yet there are many commentators who take that very stance. Now why does it matter? Well, 
Go with me to Colossians. No. Yeah. Colossians 1. And I know I've got it up here on the, the PowerPoint, but some of you might not be able to read that, so I want to just to say that. And for the sake of our radio audience, our Facebook audience, and so forth. Mark, would you read Colossians 1.16? Yes. For by him were all things created that are in heavens and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. So Jesus is not an angel. He created the angels. <clears throat> Hebrews 1.6 says that all the angels of God are to do what? Worship Christ. Go with me to Revelation 19. And I think this is, the, this is uh, very interesting. For me, this seals the deal on it. Um, you know, uh, they used to come knocking on your doors, nice guys, usually a couple of them, well-dressed. The Jehovah's Witnesses, and I call them false witnesses, but they're going to say that Jesus and Michael are the same person. And the Mormons teach that Jesus and Lucifer were brothers. So, Mormons are not Christians. Jehovah's Witnesses are not Christians. They're good people, I'm sure. But how many of you know good people go to hell without Jesus Christ? Without Jesus Christ. All right. Mark, would you read Revelation 19, um, 9 and 10? And he saith unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, these are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus, worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now John is the one who wrote First John, Little children, keep yourself from idols. And here he is trying to worship the angel. One more time, Mark, uh, Revelation 22, verses 8 and 9. I'm sure it was embarrassing for John to have to record this, but he did. And I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I had heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel, which showed me these things. Then saith he unto me, See thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book, worship God. All right. So twice John tries to worship an angel. Pretty embarrassing, I guess. Why do you think he did that? Overwhelmed, scared to death. Probably the angel looked a lot like God, right? I mean, John has seen Jesus. He's seen the Lord already so why does he worship the angel probably because these angels are glorious angels are, are tough guys they're not wimps so I think that uh, beyond a shadow of a doubt 
shows us that, uh, that this, this is not Jesus. This is an angel. Okay? Let's go back to Revelation 10. Now, John uh, hears seven thunders. So, my slide title here is Seven Sealed Peals of Thunder. And Wendy and Marcia were helping with Bible school the other day, doing a lot of hard work, preparation. Uh, and, and, and so, I asked them, I said, What's that little saying that uh, you used to teach people with their, their S's? Was it Susie? Sally. Sally sells seashells by the seashore. So that's a little easier, I guess, than seven sealed peals of thunder, but not by much. So this is curious. John hears something, but then he's told not to write. Now, why does God tell John not to write it? Because... Why, why is John getting ready to write it? Because that's his job, right? Right? <laughs> it's to write it. When he was commissioned, God says, write down what you see and what you hear. So John's getting ready to write it, and the Lord says, don't write it. Now, it's interesting because Revelation 22 says that Revelation is not a sealed book like Daniel was. Revelation is the apocalypse. It's the unveiling. But here he says to, to seal it. And it's amazing. There's all these commentaries that tell you what the seven thunders said. Even though God says we can't know what it is. It's, a, it's just pride, isn't it? Deuteronomy 29, 29 is a verse I would encourage you to memorize. Because there's going to come times in your life when you're going to encounter things that you don't understand. And the devil is going to tempt you to, to, to be mad at God or to destroy your faith. Deuteronomy 29, 29. Mark, would you just read that off the board? The secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. So there's, there's some things, guys, that we'll never understand in this life. In this life. And we have to be content with that. And we also have to be humble. I've got volume after volume after volume of the book of Revelation commentaries in my office. And do you know almost none of them agree with each other? It's because this is difficult material. And I don't have all the answers. I stand before you in all humility and say, I'm doing the best I can, but I don't know everything. And I won't, and you won't either. But God's going to help us to know what we need to know. Amen. Amen. What we need to know, we'll know. Paul was caught up to the third heaven and he heard things that was not lawful for him to, to utter. He says, In the days of the seven thunders, or the seventh trumpet, oh, excuse me, I jumped over the swearing part. Now, uh, Revelation 10, verse 6, the King James says that there should be time no longer and that gives you the impression that, that you throw your Rolex away or whatever. But there's still going to be three and a half years. 
The correct translation should be no more delay. That's the sense of the, of the Greek there. No more delay. Now, curious little book here. By the way, there's mysteries in the New Testament. I've got them listed up here on the PowerPoint. I'm not going to delineate these for the sake of time. But there's a lot of mysteries in the New Testament. What is a mystery? Anybody, pop quiz. In the New Testament, what is a mystery? Something that was not revealed, right, in the Old Testament, but now uh, God has given us clarification on it. Okay, now, verse 8 says, John heard a voice from heaven and tells him, go take the little book. Interesting. And he says, uh, it's open in the hand of the angel. Now, the fact that it's open means that what? It's time for it to be revealed, okay? Sealed, it's not time. Open, it's time. Now, there are those who say that this book is the seven-sealed scroll that Jesus had in chapter 5. And now it's a little scroll because a lot of it's been fulfilled. I have an issue with that. I'll tell you the issue I have with it. Go with me to Revelation chapter 5. I'm on my last page of notes here. And it's only half a page. I felt that deep sigh of relief in your spirit. Mark, would you read verses 1 through 3? And really put some emphasis on verse 3. <laughs> and I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne of a book written with and on the backside, sealed with seven seals, and I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. And no man in heaven, nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. So no man's able to even look at this book. So I have a hard time believing now that John's going to be able to eat it, right? Christ is the one who, who's in charge. All right, back to chapter 10. I'm sorry. Go with me to Ezekiel chapter 2. Ezekiel chapter 2. I underestimated this chapter, guys. I studied this before, before I went on vacation. And I thought, this is going to be a breeze. Just 10, 11, shortest chapter in the book of Revelation. But I underestimated this thing. There's a lot here. I think there's a clear reference here to Ezekiel chapter 2. And this is where Ezekiel is commissioned as a prophet to prophesy to the nation of Israel. Now, the last half of the tribulation period is going to be terrible, but it will be specifically bad for who? The nation of Israel. Israel, it is the time of Jacob's trouble. That's when Michael stands up. Why does he stand up for him? Because it's bad news. They're under attack from Satan. Okay, uh, Mark, would you read Ezekiel 2, 8, all the way through 3, 11? through 3, 11. 
But thou, son of man, hear what I say unto thee. Be not thou rebellious like that rebellious house. Open thy mouth and eat that I give thee. And when I looked, behold, an hand was sent unto me, and lo, a roll of a book was therein. And he spread it before me, and it was written within and without. And there was written therein lamentations and mourning and woe. Moreover, he said unto me, Son of man, eat that thou findest, eat this roll, and go speak unto the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he caused me to eat that roll. And he said unto me, Son of man, cause thy belly to eat, and fill thy bowels with this roll that I give thee. Then did I eat it, and it was in my mouth as honey for sweetness. And he said unto me, Son of man, go, get thee into the house of Israel, and speak with my words unto them. For thou art not sent to a people of a strange speech and of hard language, but to the house of Israel. Not to many people of a strange speech and of a hard language, whose words thou canst not understand. Surely, had I seen thee t- sent thee to them, they would have hearkened unto thee. But the house of Israel will not hearken unto thee, for they will not hearken unto me. For all the house of Israel are impudent and hard-headed. Behold, I have made thy face strong against their faces, and thy forehead strong against their foreheads. And as an adamant harder than flint have I made thy forehead for them not, neither be dismayed at their looks, though they be a rebellious house. Moreover, he said unto me, Son of man, all my words that I shall speak unto thee, receive in thine heart, and hear with thine ears. And I, and go, get thee to them of the captivity, unto the children of thy people, and speak unto them, and tell them, Thus saith the Lord God, whether they will hear, or whether they will forbear. All right, thank you. So Ezekiel's commission to go preach to uh, Israel. And the message, is it a popular message? No, it's judgment, right? It's woe, lamentation. Jeremiah said, your words, when I found them, I ate them. And they were um, the joy and the rejoicing in my heart. Psalm 119 How sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than what? Honey to my mouth. This is a bittersweet experience. A bittersweet experience. There is a sense in which we love God's word, love to hear it preached. I love to hear it preached. How about you? I love to hear it taught. I love to read it. I love to study it. I love Bible prophecy. This, I hope you've enjoyed this study as much as I have. I have. And we've got it archived, guys. You can go back and listen to it. Uh, if you've missed anything, you can go back and listen to all of it. And it's sweet. You know, it's, it's wonderful to discover these truths. But there is a sense in which it's bitter too, isn't it? When you think about the suffering that's going to come to this world, you think about all the heartache, you think about all the people who are lost, People who are on their way to hell. People who are going to go through the tribulation period. We all know somebody, don't we? That's not saved. Don't we? Everybody in this room, you got somebody that you love, you care about. And if that trumpet were to sound today, they would be in this awful time period. It's terrible. And so there's a sense in which 
It's bittersweet. And I'm going to tell you, as a preacher, I feel a little bit of what John felt, a little bit of what Ezekiel felt. Not, I'm not comparing myself to them. But week after week, I preach the Word of God. And these are weighty things. And I love it, and I love to preach. But at the same time, I feel in my heart, sometimes it's so heavy, it's, it's almost hard for me to get my words out because I feel the, the heaviness that, that, that the trumpet could sound or someone could die. This might be their last call. And to step out into eternity without Christ. Warren Wiersbe says, Woe unto that preacher or teacher who merely echoes God's word and does not incarnate it, making it a living part of his very being. I want to tell you guys, this is my life. This is my life. I, I, I've given my life to the Lord. I've told Him, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. And I, I, I go to bed with it. And I wake up with it. And not just with the study of the Scripture, but, but you, every one of you in this room, you're in my heart, you're in my mind, you're in my thoughts. Because this is the most important thing thing in the world is that we have a relationship with Jesus Christ that is the most important thing and when that trumpet sounds listen to me Christian don't check out on me when the rapture happens the next thing that's going to happen is you and me are going to stand before the Lord now we're not going to be judged for our salvation thank God but we're going to have to give an account of ourselves and we're going to either be rewarded for what we've done or we're going to see our work burn up before our very eyes. And that's a sobering thought. I tell you, that keeps me up at night. It does. I don't worry about my salvation anymore. I believe I'm secure in the Lord. I'm saved. Nothing can separate me from His love. But, but I tell you what, there's some things I'm not looking forward to answering for. You say, well, you're the preacher. I know. I'm human. I'm human. I've got some things that I've been forgiven of, but I still have to give an account for. I, I have this, this feeling. And that's why I'm so careful to study the Word of God and to preach it straight and true to you because I'm going to have to give an account for what I preach. And you're going to give an account for what you did with it. You heard, you're accountable because you hear. Let's go to the last slide. If my... Let's see if I can get my clicker to work. Oh, thank you. Sam's way ahead of me. God bless you, Sam and Willie and all those who help us with our uh, will, uh, help us with our audiovisual, Tyler. David Hawking, you never heard of him? You ought to check him out. I love to listen to him. This is from his commentary on the book of Revelation. He says, to all preachers of the word of God, God's word must be proclaimed no matter how it affects or offends people. We should speak God's truth in love, of course, but there is too much compromise in the pulpits of our churches. Amen. The Bible's message about God's wrath and judgment is rarely heard or understood by today's culture. It's not popular. That's, that's not how you grow a huge megachurch. There is no, more message, no message more important for our world than what the book of Revelation clearly presents. May God help us to be faithful to it and to heed what it says. When you get to that last verse in chapter 10,
He says to John, you must prophesy. Now, the King James says before, and that's really not a great rendering of it because it gets the, you get the idea that and, that, and that has caused a lot of confusion. A lot of people think that John's going to be one of the two witnesses because the King James translated it that way. But it should be concerning kings. There, and there's that fourfold designation again. People, nation, kings, uh, tongues, and kings. Whenever you see four in the Revelation, that, that's uh, worldwide. That denotes worldwide. Notice he says to John, you must preach. Paul says, woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. I had a vision some years ago. And y'all know me, I'm not giving the sensationalism or telling you stories to exaggerate things. But I had some vision. This has probably been close to 10 years ago. And I saw on a vision people were going over a cliff into the flames of eternal hell. And the Lord spoke to my spirit and said, that's where they're going if you don't preach. He said, that's where you're going if you don't preach. I was going through a difficult time in my life. I was questioning my calling, wondering if I wanted to continue doing this. Listen, I love my job. I try not to complain about it. I think I got the best job in the world because I get to work for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I wouldn't trade this to be a, a, a pro athlete or a music rock star or whatever. Wouldn't trade, wouldn't trade it for the world. I thank God. But I don't just do it because I enjoy it. I do it because woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. Woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. If you, if you go back to Ezekiel, don't, don't turn there, we're closing. But Mark read that in Ezekiel chapter 3 where Ezekiel had to eat the roll. And he said, you need to go preach to your people. If you read later on in chapter 3 of Ezekiel, he says, if you don't warn the people and they die, I'm going to require their blood on your hands. He says, now if you warn the people and they still rebel, it's not on your hands. So understand this. I don't measure the success of my ministry by the altar call. My job is to deliver, thus saith the Lord. And so I've given you God's word today. The question is, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? Would you stand? You may be here today, and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I don't care how good of a person you are, how good of a neighbor or a co-worker or whatever, if you die without Christ, you will spend eternity in the lake of fire. And that is eternal torment. That's a long time. But you can be saved today. Jesus Christ died for your sins and for my sins. Every sin that you and I would ever commit, He paid the price for it on that cross in Calvary. Your sin and my sin was nailed to the cross. Jesus took your place. Why would you die and go to hell when Jesus has already taken your punishment for you. I feel the Holy Spirit pleading with someone here today. Someone here today, whether in this room or on Facebook or listening to this podcast, 
wherever or whenever you're listening. God wants you to know He loves you and He's demonstrated His love for you in that while you were still a sinner, Jesus died for you. And if you'll put your faith in the risen Lord, if you'll believe that He died for you, that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and if you'll repent of your sin, you'll say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's the simplest prayer I know how to pray. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Forgive me, I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Send your Holy Spirit to live inside of me. Jesus said this, How much more shall your Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? If you ask Him in sincerity for, your, for His Holy Spirit, He will give you the Holy Spirit. That's a promise. He that comes to Jesus, He said, I will in no wise cast out. Believer, when was the last time, believer, you said to the Lord, Fill me with your Spirit? You say, Well, I got saved 50 years ago. That's great. But the Bible says we're to be continually filled with the Spirit. Christian, you and I need to be full of the Holy Ghost. We need a fresh infilling, a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit because I believe it's going to take a Spirit-filled ministry to get the job done in these last days because there's demonic powers everywhere and we need the power of God. It's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by the Spirit of the Lord. If you need anything from the Lord, this altar is open. Would you come?